thank you very much. I'm Sharon. I'm an alcoholic, um, a food addict, and also adult child. Um, really nervous. This is my first ever chair um, for ACA. You know, that's related to ACA. Um, I've done thousands of AA chairs, but um, because my ACA recovery is so new, so I thought I can't do that. I'm not good enough, and blah, 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 you know, all those voices and. Um, all I've got to do is tell my story, and I think there is someone I actually know on here as well, which is weird, but quite comforting. So um, I'll just tell you how it was. So I I was born to teenagers, um, and my father was an alcoholic and a gambler. He also cheated on my mother. Um, growing up, I thought my mother was horrible. I thought she was mean. She was mean to me. She was very mean. Uh, I don't have any memory of being held or touched by her. And she favoured my brother. That's my story. That's what I saw. So that's my story. And um, I kept small. I kept quiet. Um, and um, I read a lot. I hid in books and read. And I remember my mum used to say, you can't have read that. How could you have read that so fast? But I was a voracious reader because, of course, that's where I could escape to. That's where... That's where I could just hide in books. And um, my father's drinking resulted in violence to my mother, never to me, but sometimes to my brother. And actually, I adored my father. I thought he was the best. He was the kid. He was the grown-up kid. Um, he was funny. He was sociable. He had loads of friends. And, and, I, and he loved me. And it looked like my mother hated me. We were very polarised. So my brother was always with my mother. And my father I would be with, but he was never there. Um, and as I got older, I isolated even more from, from my mother and brother. And I used to be upstairs listening to John Peel radio. And uh, I became quite a sort of punk and everything and I really didn't engage with my mother and brother they would I wouldn't eat with them I would secretly throw my supper away uh yeah I just didn't like I was just really really unhappy and um but my parents were teenagers and when I look back now you know they my mother in particular, because my father was never there. You know, my mum never came to school because she was years younger than everybody. That's what I realised. She would never come up to school. And I realised that she must have been so uncomfortable. And we were never. I was never allowed any friends home because we weren't as affluent as everyone around. And my parents were kids. And uh, my dad was always away. And he was a tradesman. You know, he was a working class man. Um, and so I learned to be ashamed of my father to a degree I learned to be ashamed of my family uh, my mum was ashamed of my father's side of the family I loved them I you know they were the bosom of, of love but I learned to be ashamed um, and I started to I don't know seek attention I, I, I didn't drink but I pretended to. I mean, who pretends to get drunk? But that's what I used to do. I thought it would get me attention. Um, so I didn't even like use alcohol when I felt so uncomfortable with all these people and my friends and I didn't feel I fitted in and we weren't allowed people home, all this shame. I didn't turn to drink. I was using food. Um, I was starving, binging, sneaking food. Um, and I, But I pretended to be drunk because I saw... But because my dad was funny when he was drunk, when he wasn't being violent. And I think I must have, 
I don't know, some weird thing in my head. Pretend to be drunk. I mean, why? I look back now, I'm so embarrassed by that. And then I, I went off to um, Polly to, to do my degree. And I realized that I hadn't fitted in where I grew up. You know, I, I sort of had weird hair. I, I dressed in secondhand clothes. I, I wanted to be different. But when I went to do my degree, I wasn't quite cool enough I'd actually come from it was really obvious that I had actually come from a nice place so then I didn't feel authentic that I was I wasn't an authentic punk you know I wasn't an authentic cool person and I I I just pretended all the time just pretended to be something I wasn't and that got harder and harder to sustain and that's when the drinking took off the drinking sort of eased the um the 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 discrepancy really and and I didn't even drink that much and people used to um say oh Sharon she gets drunk on comms which was conversations because if I made a connection with someone was talking I would get really high I would get really excited by the connection if I thought they were cool or there was something in it for me and and I only needed one drink to get to that place and then I was off you know I was this like manic little social butterfly and again that got harder to sustain so then more drink then of course I got to the point where <laughs> there wasn't a balance anymore and I would drink and I would I would be a mess I, I call myself you know the snotting snivelling mess that I was you know because I then hated myself for the scrapes I got into you know I wasn't reliable I yeah yeah just all the things that drink brings um, and just hated myself more and more and more. I got into self-harm. My eating disorder went even more extreme and I was starving. I was doing the most bizarre things like jumping on trampolines to like spontaneously regurgitate and, and just my flat was disgusting. Um, and still turning up for this job insane you know I worked in the university I'd get drunk and end up like going out with the students and doing mad things escapades really crazy situations that we all know if we're through our addictions just insane dangerous insane situations and um I eventually found well eventually uh rang AA and I hated it I absolutely hated it um I didn't identify with anyone there I, I hated it and I, I didn't go back. I, I thought, who are these people? The guy doing the chair was like a murderer in, from prison. I, I mean, I just couldn't identify with anybody because that's I didn't want to. I was just looking at all the externals and no, I didn't. I was so, so closed. I was so unaware of myself that I couldn't even hear. I couldn't identify with anybody. I couldn't hear feelings or anything. I was just literally on this very thin line of, of peripheral, exterior sort of awareness, external awareness. Um, so went back out. Uh, things got worse and worse, as they do. And uh, some friends intervened. And I actually ended up in a treatment centre. And really, I think I felt it was because of the food, because I was my health was really bad because of, of what I was doing to my body. Um, I didn't really think about that I was an alcoholic. I just didn't. I didn't. I actually thought my alcohol consumption was to do with my food, like this obsession with like filling this hole. I had to put something in to fill the hole. And I didn't, I just did not, I didn't 
equate myself as an alcoholic. Um, and obviously that something I became to realise more in treatment. And I came out and it was like, right, it's 0% recovery, go to meetings. And I did. I, I went to both fellowships. And this is the funny thing. So I, I was going to these meetings in London and there was a guy there who was a bit, I thought, odd, a bit touchy-feely. I was definitely not a touchy-feely person. And and I think I must have shared about my father. And so he used to like come up to me a lot and go, you know, there's this program. And, and it was called ACOA then, I think. And it was like, you know, maybe you should try ACOA. And it's like, I don't know what that is. Oh, you're weird. I'm not going. Um, and I, I think it would have been a disaster for me to have gone in early recovery. I, and I would have been so close to that. Um, anyway, I, I started working steps very slowly. I was quite a slow learner. And then I got it. And I wanted to be the good girl. So I did everything. I did service. And um, I was quite slow to do the steps, though. You know, had a sponsor. Um, did both programs. Um, had fellowship it was great um, uh, it, you know, obviously it was painful I was appealed prawn life was hard but I, I had a fellowship and I had meetings and it was good um, and I met someone uh, in recovery who was in recovery as well and we got married and we had children and um, life got really difficult got really difficult uh, my husband's uh, got very depressed suicidal and at the same time my youngest daughter became very very ill and um, I was told by AA suggested to accept find acceptance and I couldn't I wanted to find a cure and also when I was in AA I did loads of service. I helped people. And what I heard, what I heard was that your childhood is irrelevant. That's, that's what I heard. So I never looked at my childhood. It was irrelevant. I'm an alcoholic. That's why I'm here. And, but I still had a very fractured relationship with my mother. It was very painful. Uh, my dad had just disappeared. He'd just gone. He didn't have no contact with me at all. Didn't want to because he was jealous that I was now slightly on better terms with my mother, thanks to AA. But it was still all fractured. Um, and I didn't like anyone who sort of was a bit hippie in their sharing, touchy-feely, very uncomfortable. You know, I liked very AA talk. I liked a very strong program. I liked action. And I didn't like anything that went that way. And I was justified, I felt, by AA says, my childhood doesn't matter because we're all, we've all arrived at the same point. We've all arrived at AA, drunk, confused, hating life, not wanting to live. And here's the solution. And I kept on with that way and I had some horrendous times in AA that I'm really ashamed about um I'm not so much now in ACA because I can see but you know some pretty awful things happened I'd never drank but I couldn't cope I couldn't cope with my daughter's ill health uh I couldn't cope I I became obsessed with finding a cure um to the detriment of other things I think my other daughter was was on sidelined um I overly focused on this one child who I had to save. Uh, I tried to save my husband. Um, I lived as a servant and a slave. I did everything for everybody. I was told service was the best thing ever, and I really felt that joy and um, restraint of tongue and pen. But I still, and then I, I, I just couldn't work out why I was so intolerant of my husband, um, why I was intolerant of neediness. Um, why I couldn't save my daughter and why I couldn't accept what was happening. 
but I just kept going and sometimes my daughter would be better and then my husband might sort of, something would change and he might be a bit better. And it just went on and on and on and on and on and on and on for years. It just went on. And yeah, I had a lovely time with friends and fellowship and stuff, but I lived constantly in fear. And I used to walk along the river and I would just cry. And I thought, no one can know how I feel. I have to be the person who sponsors people and I have to be really show how this program works and yeah I know it's not working for me and that I'm still terrified all the time and oh sorry and terrified all the time and also that what would happen would I I would you know be in a position have service at meetings and stuff and then I would start to feel really awful because my daughter would be really horrendously ill and I couldn't tell anyone I couldn't really say anything because I knew I'd cry and I want to cry at a meeting and so I would start to shrink and disappear and then I'd never share and then I'd start hating going to that meeting and and it'd be like this huge glass wall that's always been in my life just was started to be an AA as well and I couldn't tell anyone anything because I thought if they knew what was going on in my head if they knew how insane I really feel and how much I cry and how much I think about hanging myself or throwing myself in the river like all the time that I've got no recovery I've got no recovery and I would just go on like that and um and I, and I did have a really beautiful friend in, in AA who started talking differently and I really oh my god it really started to open up some sort of floodgates and stuff and, and made me feel even more chaotic and then um one day in the woods <laughs> I was walking my dog and I, I met an AA friend and he was saying something and then I thought god he's sharing differently to how I hear him share. And then he just started saying, I'm going to ACA. And and he said, you should look at the laundry traits. And I can't tell you how much I've beaten myself for being intolerant, say, of my husband's constant having to tell me every ache and pain of his snoring, of his throat clearing. I think I'm such a bad person of his neediness, of his attachment. I've been so intolerant. I'm going, I'm really, really bad. And I read the laundry traits and I read the other you know, the flip side, I thought, oh my God, I'm just an adult child. It explains everything. And it was like, well, even the term adult child explains it. I felt like a child all the time, but I'm meant to be an adult. And I just don't know how to do this. I've been a bully to my children and I've been a slave to my husband. It's like, I'm these two extremes. And, um, Jesus, I never, ever drank. I've been, I'll be 30 years in July. And, um, but I've wanted to kill myself so many times. And I really don't want to say that as a trigger, but that is the truth because, and I've realized, and I see it now, I can observe it. It's, it's, it's just another way to try and get out of the life that I can't bear living. It's just another form of use. It's part of the inner drugstore. It's like, that's where I'll go. I can't cope. I can't live. I'm overwhelmed. I can't live this life. But what's, you know, so what's the option? And um, what ACA has taught me, it was the missing piece. I literally, and I hated it, that I cried and cried and cried literally every ACA meeting I came to. And I hated being that vulnerable because I wouldn't do it in AA. And I hated it, I hated it. And it's like, oh, and it was so different. There were boundaries and people didn't jump forward with any help and people weren't going with numbers so different but it's exactly what I needed and to slow down thank you for that warning um it's been a real learning curve oh my goodness and you know what my daughter is iller now 
than she was when she was two. She's iller now and um, like more ill and, and to the point it may not live. And it is so painful. And I, and I, when I came to ACA, the first thing that was in my head was all the guilt, all the guilt in my head about my parenting, even though I've been in AA and OA, and even though I've tried to love those kids so much, I, I feel I've been crap. And I was in this shame spiral. So I was going to ACA and I realized I had to do the loving parent. I had to find that loving parent. It was a priority for me. And I still don't know if I have, I, I don't know, but I really try. And I try to show up for myself because that's the most, also, that's the loving, what a loving parent would say to me. It's like, I'm enough. I, I can, I, and I'm learning to speak up for myself in my relationship. I was going to get divorced, but I am, well, in my head, I was obviously I hadn't had a discussion with my husband. I'd already planned it, but um, I, I, there was no way I was going to overcome my fear of confrontation, and and I've just been away, no work to hide behind, and I have had the most brutal conversations with him where I thought I was going to die. That's the feeling. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I don't care if I do die, but I do. I'm going to die now, and uh, and I've done it, and and I've spoken up, and it, it, it's literally transforming the situation and it's like oh my god why did I never do this before why didn't I ever speak up why didn't I ever say these truths instead of storing them as massive resentments you know so I've got to wrap up soon so I have my I have two sponsors my AC sponsor I haven't seen for a while um, but I did speak to my AA OA sponsor before this because I was really nervous and, um, you know, I had that calming conversation and she's like me and we often go, we wish we spoke slower. We wish we were calmer. But you know what? That is actually me and that is her. We're, 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 we've known each other many years and we're together in a way because we're so similar in our life experience and that we are gesticulators and fast talkers and over-enthusiastic um, but also, oh my God, call the Samaritans because, you know, I've, I've lost my keys. You know, that type of extreme reaction to everything. I can't cope. I can't cope. I can't cope. So ACA has really um, helped me. And she's not in ACA, but I talk a lot to her. And she's seen, she said, I've seen so much change in you. You might not see it, but ACA has really brought about change. I'm seeing someone who is really starting to show up for themselves so I hope that something I've said might help someone um but I'm grateful to be asked I was incredibly nervous but what is there to be nervous about you know that's perfectionism and ego all I can tell you is my story which is predominantly AA with and I wish I I wish I maybe not that guy all those years ago but I truly wish I'd done this maybe sort of before I had children I really wish, but you find ACA when you find it, and then you have to just deal <laughs> with all the stuff. You know, you, you what is it? The, 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 the teacher appears when the student is willing. There's a time and a place, and um, part of my recovery is to try and not regret my late arrival at ACA. And thank you very much. Thank you.